I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode is about digital twins and the edge. And Simon Crosby from Swim AI came in and you will hear him speaking quite a bit um, because this is his expertise area. They, they are literally building digital twins in edge locations. Um, but a lot of us have experience here and we really work to expand and understand how Simon's experience translates into general cases and, and what we're seeing in the edge and the types of systems that we're trying to build. It's a fascinating uh, intersection of how we build models and understand the connectedness of all the components for the edge uh, versus traditional models. And, and that really is what makes edge unique. It's not a single application, but a connected system. And that's what's going to have to emerge to make all this work. Enjoy the conversation. So, um, I, I would let's try, I'd transition to the topic of the day, um, which is digital twins, which is why I, I tapped on Simon to to jump in um, specifically from from that perspective. This was brought up by Joanne a couple of weeks ago um, around the idea that we're we're about to have a revolution in new UI new experience to and better engagement. Um, and to do all that, we're basically creating digital twins of, of our environmental systems. Um, and, and Simon, you're deep in this space. Um, can you, could you frame this for us or what you're seeing in market? So I see it almost sure. I, I agree with that with the, okay. with the framing, <clears throat> But the way I see customers getting into it is that they get into it because they want to have an always-on digital version of everything they care about. Okay, so um, I'll give you an example. Um, our largest customer is a mobile carrier, and we have an always-on digital version of every device in their network and every one of their customers' devices. So it's 150 million plus devices. As digital twins, continuously receiving data from the real thing and continuously stately evolving somewhere in memory in some clusters across the country and addressable via the language of the web. They all just have your eyes as how you hold them. And they'll draw themselves if you use a web browser or whatever. But this gives you gives them the ability to quickly get hold of the digital state of everything they care about. Okay, so I see it coming from the other side. That is more of an operational need um, than a customer need. But ultimately, possibly the goal is the same. That is, we're trying to improve the speed of service to end users, customer service, whatever it happens to be. And having an always-on representation of a thing is a no-brainer. And to my mind, that's what it is. So digital twins perhaps start out life as, you know, overlays that mechanics would use of jet engines or some, some really complex thing. Some design time artifact, which is designed to help a human interacting with the real world. I see it the other way, which is that <clears throat> these are continuously evolving digital representations 
actors, uh, digital twins of things in memory on some computer somewhere of absolutely everything you care about. And it's not just the state of everything. It's that they need to continuously organize themselves into graphs which describe their relatedness and relevance. So let me give you a good example. Um, if Rich and I are near a, a cell tower together, then do something. Okay, that's relevance. Okay, or if the load on a cell tower is exceeded, then do something. So proximity, geospatial awareness, <clears throat> arbitrary constraints related to continuous parametric functions have to be continuously reevaluated for every single thing. And so the, it's not about each single asset being a digital twin. It's about the relationships between them and their continuous evolution over time. And that is Simon, what drives the business. Simon, a question about uh, what you just described. Um, to what degree is the digital twin a closed loop that is taking action on a programmatic basis as opposed to advising the, the human being to take the action? So I think in the era of analytics, we put cool UIs in front of humans and humans make decisions. Yeah, we're always going to have to do that. But ultimately, to drive automation, and edge computing is an interesting topic here, to drive automation, automated responses to drive machines, you have to respond in milliseconds. And <clears throat> so I see an increasing need on the part of customers to continually process, continually analyze, learn, and predict, and then automatically respond, do the right thing. So retune the radios in my, my network so I can deal with where it really is, is now. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that, <clears throat> I think, is inexorable because every product is now instrumented, every pipeline, every VM on, in the cloud, every whatever, your supply chain, everything is an instrument. And so the volume of data is simply going up. Storing it and thinking about it later is just not going to happen. And what people want to be able to move at the pace at which the world is now moving, I mean, the business world is moving, is to be able to continuously analyze and then respond in time and increasingly, there's automated. So I think analytics is solved. I think the UI problem is kind of ho hum, but mm -hmm. at least humans are ho hum. But I, so Simon, I, I have a question. I, admittedly, I'm biased by my conversations with the Air Force with respect to the concept of digital twin. For yeah. them, it's the concept of like, let's take the next generation. Um, air superiority fighter and will create a digital analog of the physical device and be able to simulate all of the conditions affecting this device as a so it's it's more of a design methodology to accelerate yeah. the process versus what you're talking about is it's almost like 
more of a real time and in interacting in the in the the actual universe as opposed right. to the design side. Correct. So how how is that? Because I think of that more as like you know maybe AI driven robotic process automation. It is for production for sure. And and I think the problem here is is we've got one word, multiple terms. I mean, digital twins came out, and this is what confused me is that uh, it seems that the term is used in by different groups to mean different things. And I think we've got this is one example. Sorry, Klaus. <laughs> no, you're quite right. So, Rocky, what you're saying is it started out as a more of a design time artifact, right? And I'm saying it's more of an operational artifact. So, uh, so what I'm saying is that some people say, well, the, the Air Force's uh, definition of it is different from uh, the general IT world. Your, oh, I your, see. <clears throat> your definition of it is more what most of what we see in in um, seminars and discussions and stuff like that is your version. The Air Force has specialized uh, and they actually have their own definition and it's not clear which definition was first. As a bit of a change in discussion, going back to what's uh, something Simon, that you said before, about analytics driving automation, driving uh, the digital twinage driving <laughs> analytics. So we can barely question. hear you, Klaus. Okay. Is this better now? A little bit. How about now? Much better. I oh, am. Yeah. For some reason, my my laptop defaults to a very low uh, microphone level. Um, so I'll, I'll repeat. So, so Simon, what you were saying before about uh, analytics driving automation, uh, and then that looping back into analytics, and, and that being one of the the core tenets of of digital twins. Um, what I am wondering, though, is if we incur a risk of this becoming too domain specific and effectively excluding um, targets or, or, or even the demographics because the feedback loop works on itself. Uh, we, we've seen this uh, in, in, in cases, for example, with, uh, um, with, with, uh, with graphics processing where, where people of color uh, are not detected as well. Um, and, and in this case, we, we are driving our automation based on, on our analytics. But what if our analytics are flawed? Yep, that is a problem. I agree with you. I mean, so, so the thing you have to do is make sure, by the way, I think it probably what most people think of as AI is pretty hard mathematics. So it's not that hard. So, you know, in the case of a, a mobile provider, right? Every the digital twin, every single device is predicting where it will be, what what tower is the nearest, and how to connect it. Well, that's not so hard to do, right? 
that's not hard like find a person in a photograph hard. So for most industrial implementations or most use cases, the you know what people think of as AI is just computers doing what computers do, right? It's not that hard. So so the, to my mind the the biggest opportunity and the biggest value is that there is an always on digital personality which represents every single thing in your world as opposed to having to go to a database and then figure it out and put it all together. So you get to respond in a millisecond or two as opposed to minutes or hours or whatever, or days, right? And certainly for the carrier that I'm working with, they used to have 400 nodes or so, and they'd get insights on a 10-hour basis. And now we drive their network, retune their radios in milliseconds. Okay, that's the difference. Because and the mass, uh, to be perfectly honest, they think of it as edge AI. Yes, no. it's just math. Not that hard. Right, but is is the reason that works because you have a, a more persistent you know, digital version of the, so, of, of the item. What's I, uh, this is, keep, no, keep going. So, so here's yeah. the thing, right? Every single, when you think cloud, the fundamental structure in cloud is a database, right? It's yeah. rest. Mm. And then yeah. everything goes in a freaking database of some sort. <laughs> databases are the bane of my existence and databases are a million times slower than CPU memory yeah. literally a million so is the network by the way so if you can have an always on in memory somewhere in your cluster or across the country digital representation of a stateful process it represents a thing and it's current evolution space and time then you're a million times faster than any app that's going to use a database representation. Plus, I, yeah. go ahead. Well, I, I, I mean, part of part of what you're describing to me, and what I what I like in this is the always on aspect mm -hmm. for this is that you have an addressable item, which not which in our case is just a yeah. URI. So every single one of these digital twins is just on the web. It's, but it, but it also it also has attributes and persistence. So when you're building and and the thing that keyed off to me was the relationship model. Like in design, you're building design, you need all these pieces, you need their attributes, you hook them together and it but it's a static. Yeah. Static. If I'm building a connected environment and I want and I care about the relationships between things, the persistence of a of a digital entry as carrying part, right? I can't have relationships. I can't build a connected relationship with things that, that come and go or don't exist or aren't well-defined or database. Right. I, I need, and, and by an the entity. way, you, you even yeah. a relational database can't deal with parametric relationships. So right. the relationship is nearness in 3d space or mm. I don't know something else, right? It's correlation in terms of some metric. Then no database finds those for you, and no database can trigger the reaction. Okay, so you're continuously evaluating for every single thing in your world, every possible parametric function that's of interest, right? So you have to continuously 
compute as data flows over this thing. It turns out to be a graph, oh. which is in memory. So it's a graph that links these digital twins in some, you know, whatever, forget the binding to physical computers, but it's a graph that these things form themselves. So as you become near to me and you satisfy the nearness description, we link. So that's like an edge in a graph. And then you get to see my state and compute on it, right? Okay. So the notion here is that everything you care about continuously computes based on its own real world events, the state of things that are relevant to it. Relationships are continuously evaluated and found, and the graph is continuously in flux. And it's always on and sitting in memory somewhere. So, and these are things that databases just can't do. And I think the, the key here that Simon has gotten across to me that is making the difference is that digital twins aren't twins in the traditional sense of they have the same properties, but the twinness is the relationships. Yes. And the states and cha state changes, not the properties. Yeah, because you could, that's spot on, Rocky. I mean, you could say a Rowan database is digital twin. Yeah, who cares? You know, that, that's not that relevant, right? What matters is the relationship, but the relationships between the things in the rows and how as one of them changes, how it affects all the others. That's the key. And it turns out, by the way, oh, so SWIM is an implementation of the actor paradigm. There are others. So if you wrote your world in Akka and you went down the path of dealing with things in uh, streaming data using Akka, you could do similar things. Um, so the, the problem is, well, at least the Akka way and the same way of solving this problem is to use staple um, processes. So staple lambdas, you can think of them as, which are currently in memory, which represent the things. So an actor for everything. Um, I'm, I'm connecting what you're saying and also part of what I'm reading in the chat from an edge edge perspective, because part of the part of the relationships here are to the people in the in the environment. But yes, but part of what to me the the edge that the big paradox with edge is that in order for edge to really grow, we have to have relationships between the devices in the edges and the people at the yeah. edges, right? The, the right. purpose of edge computing is to improve the human interactions in the environment. Um, Just one wrinkle there, Rob, yeah. is, and that is that the edge is where your data comes from. If you have a million VMs in AWS mm -hmm. and I'm monitoring them, that's the edge, okay? Sure. It's the edge of the application graph from which I'm now going to process streaming data and build associations and relationships and come with conclusions and actions. So the edge is where your data comes from. I, I actually think that that's an interesting thought process in part because there's a 
question to me in edge of how do you make things that are different applications or different vendors or different silos talk to oh, each other? Bingo. Right. This, this is to me, the di- part of digital twinning here is I have a whole bunch of stuff in my environment. And, and to what your, your point is, that could all be stuffed in an Amazon zone completely away from any physical interaction. Right. But if I need to say, hey, things in this, you know, there, there are elements in this this pocket, this, this silo of, of analysis and data, data generation, and I need something else to be able to understand it, right? All of a sudden, the elements of that, that pocket become, I need digital twins, so I have a way to look at that, yeah. look at that pocket. And, and you're right. And more than that, yeah. in order to respond locally to where data rises, so, for example, to bypass a fault in, in the Northeast, I only need to be running in the Northeast. But the application could run across the whole country, and I could still see an outage in the Northeast. You see what I mean? And if I, if I really – so you have to deal with partitioning and availability too. And sure, so, but if but if I needed if I needed access to digital twins of information in the Northeast, the the assumption that I start to build is the closer I am to the source of that digital twin, the more advantaged I am. Yes, and but the key thing is that the database approach, right, okay. would insist that I have a replicated database, a distributed database, which can deal with the same state everywhere, and. That actually doesn't, so, well, it's, it's complicated. Uh, there's a ton of machinery in databases which is designed to keep things um, consistent and available and so on, and that slows us down. Yeah. And so if we say, hey, the Northeast can deal with the Northeast, but everybody else just cares to know whether or not there is a fault there or some things like that, right? Then you can use cache state everywhere else. And so... Um, relaxing a bunch of the constraints to helps us deal with partitioning and faults. And, you know, so you can have a digital twin of the Northeast. So this is, this is a a critical Mm -hmm. enabling uh, feature technology system for edge. Because if you don't have it, then there's so many things you can't act on that you need to act on if you're at an edge and there's a dis- disconnect between you and the rest of the world Bingo. or the rest of the world and you. And and more than that, on the edge topic, the database predilection tends to tie us to physical locations because at some point you hit a spinning disk. And that's really problematic when things move. So mobile devices get on planes and they show up in different parts of the country or they move from one base station or one MEC to the next, right? And if they stayed there somewhere else, sitting on a piece of rusted aluminum or whatever, uh, spinning rust, um, then we have a problem. Because, you know, for the application to work, I have to be able to reach the stored data somewhere else. And um, that's slow, plus it's not resilient to partitioning. So if everything is just in memory and we get rid of databases, yeah, forget. Then we we go a million times faster, 
and um, we're much more resilient. But do, do you see a concept of digital twinning that enables um, different levels of resolution at different yeah, distances of times or different consumers? Yeah. So, so, I, so I think that another way to think of those, Rob, is yeah. um, by analogy, Amazon Redshift materialized views. Okay. So I have say in 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 the case of my mobile provider, you know, millions of subscribers per state. Sure. Right. So the base level view would be cool. How's each state doing? Or I have, may, may have you know thousands of base stations per state. How's each state doing? There we are. That's a digital twin of each state to the extent that a human would care of it. And that should continuously evolve. That is, relevant things should bubble up as those base stations change their states. So if one fails, then it can go red or whatever, right? So, sure. Various levels of abstraction. You're, you're making me think of what I used to work in the physical security, like uh, electronic locks, card key type business. Um, and there was always a debate with that. Because you know how you walk into a new building, you have to badge in twice because you're not in the cache? Yeah. Known, known behavior. But there's a, there's a dilemma with that, which is how far away should the cache be? in case right. there's a disconnected system. So you, in, in a high security environment, the idea that somebody could get locked out because the cache couldn't get warmed up is problematic. Right. Um, and so we, we spent a lot of time talking about things like that. Um, and so there's an element with what you're describing to me is, you know, in a day, you could have a dormant digital twin, a sleeping digital twin in a database somewhere from what you're saying that, and then, and then could you, would you actually then look at it as constructing the, the digital twin and building up its resolution? So you could say, Hey, yeah, I know there's a cell phone. It's this, this MEID or whatever they, whatever the ID number is, it shows up. I don't know who this is. I have to go build a digital twin to interact with in that system. Um, ideally, if there's a cell phone handoff, you could do a warm handoff and say, Hey, this, you need to know about this twin. It's in your proximity. Um, yeah, so here's the funny thing, right? Yeah. So for this model provider, we're doing five petabytes per day. That's okay. more than you could ever store. Okay. It's, it's a shitload of data. <laughs> sure. And, um, but the model, the stateful model of all the digital twins is a few terabytes. And it handily fits in memory of 40 computers distributed around the country. So, the notion of sticking things on disk because they're big or because that's where the associations get made because we have a database schema. Yeah, forget that. Seriously, do we need disks? It's a very good question. Do we need disks? Um, it's a handy abstraction for humans, but in, in reality, um, you know, disks, all forms of database run a million times slower than the CPU memory. And we can keep a stable model of the world, including caches and high availability, if we um, design the system correctly and we don't really need disk other than for persistence or HA for warm starts in the right. event that something fails. I guess I'm... <clears throat> 
you're you're very insistent on on it, this being in memory from a from a perspective. I, I'm not as clear on why that becomes an essential component of the digital twinning. Two reasons. The first being automation. Okay, so analytics I consider to be a solved problem. Okay. Um, putting cool UIs in front of humans is not hard. Um, but if you're going to drive something to an automatic response, you okay. need a response that is literally in sync with the world. Okay. You have to respond within single digit milliseconds. Okay. That's I, another good reason for your edge computing case, because you're typically huh. within a single digit milliseconds hop away. Okay, so you can drive automation from your edge computing world. So in, in part of what you're describing, when I think about it architecturally, you're saying you don't need to replicate, and maybe this is key to all the digital, the digital twinning pieces. You don't, the, the consumers of the, the data from a, a device don't need to recreate their own version of the digital twin if the digital twin has the performance characteristics that you're describing. Correct. And, and you don't need to probably keep the raw data. So right. people, so this people is, are this confused is the... between, it's about okay. state, not data, right? Yeah. Raw, you know, just good luck trying to store five petabytes a day. You can't do it. It's more than 10 gigabytes per second, 24 per seven. <laughs> but, <laughs> right? but, part of, but part of what you're doing in the, because like when I think about the integrations today, Literally, when you build an integration, you're saying, I'm going to tap into an API and I'm going to, I'm going to clone data, but, but every integration ends up building their own digital twin, if you will, yes. their, own, their own model of the thing that they need to consume. Right. And, and so they have to store the data, they have to process the data. To your point about databases, they have to normalize the data. Um, what, you're, what you're describing here is uh, the concept that you're you're going to attach to something as a digital twin. You're going to count on it being able to provide the state information for you, and 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 you and the the consumers, the 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 people, the digital twins with relationships to that that device, that item, don't have to invest in maintaining their own copy of the digital twin. They're Correct. just interacting with it. <clears throat> yep. Could I? I Insert a question here. Um, you described earlier the notion that like a, a network edge, not the way we've talked about edge compute or an edge node, um, the relationship being uh, an increasingly important part of this and informing that relationship, for example, if you thought of those relationships as being contractual, um, yeah. perhaps not a, um, a mobile telephony system, but let's talk about uh, smart grids or things like that, where in fact, um, I'm concerned with um, the contract between a community of nodes and its various potential suppliers of power, yeah. including the members of the community itself because they've got solar collectors. Um, do you not 
create a, a community of abstractions that also have to be twinned in this particular case? Um, 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 I mean, sure. <laughs> so wait, I mean, it gets, the world, it gets to be turtles all the way down, but it yeah. does. Yeah, <clears throat> certainly. So, so, but, but there's a very interesting thing here, which is how do you take the evolving state of things and, and in, in response to changing states, trigger certain things happening, right? Right. So, um, Instead of having updates, databases, things change in memory on the fly. And they will tell you, if you subscribe to their to them, they'll tell you continuously about state changes, right? They won't send right. you messages. They won't do REST API calls. That's all horribly slow and, and very once-off. Mm -hmm. They'll yeah. send you a continuous stream of state changes, Okay. And then what you do with them is up to you. I mean, that's other programs. The key thing is to facilitate a, a methodology by which you can easily go at groups right. of digital twins. So for us um, in this carrier world now, that there are bindings for PyTorch. So they can do data science on live data coming off their network. And the, the, the great majority of this is actually projections, right? It's basically um, for, you know, we'll, we'll call it forecasting or, or projections about what, what to anticipate. And if that's of interest to you, sure. And it is for some use cases. Um, I mean, we have use cases in, um, for example, PCB manufacturing, right? where they're soldering chips onto boards, where you're predicting when a machine is going to fail. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Some of this. But just having the ability for things to find associations, for example, correlations, right? Right. And then to be able to project forward on the basis of that is important. And, and by the way, so here's a... If you think forward to a state where every single product is instrumented and it's always talking to its producer and every popular, every, whatever, every, there's just so much data around, right? So the interesting thing is how are people going to create all these machine learning models? There's too much data to store on disk. There aren't enough humans to do the work and good luck with that, right? <laughs> okay. so. The answer in my mind is something like a digital twin that learns from its own history. Okay, it doesn't preclude from evolving in the future, but what it does say is that it's something like you. So if I said to you, do you like blueberry muffins? You kind of know the answer. You didn't have to call your mom, right? And that would be going to a database. You've learned from all the blueberry muffins you've eaten that they're good or they're bad for you, but you know you know it. <clears throat> You're staple mm -hmm. in in the sense of having a hmm. learn something about your past. So, so you're you're ascribing the notion of a uh, a, a a 
I won't call them sentient, but at least they are they are learning machines. The nodes, the individual nodes, are are in fact retaining some sort of memory, some sort of precedence, some yes. sort of. Now, and do you they, see and that they can as use being not only their own states, but the states of things relevant nearby? They're, well, well, nearby relevant, in some space, right? right? Yeah. So nearby in geospatial terms, or nearby in correlation terms, or some parameter in space. terms of in, uh, of interest or importance doesn't you know geography means nothing in this particular case yes um so, okay so do you though see so when we talk about twins and you talk about edge which i love that the the characterization of the edge is is you know where your data is coming from but but your edge and my edge are not the same right um and there are two sides to that same edge. So do we see it? Do we not see, like, if you and I don't share an edge, we don't have the same digital twin for the same piece of machinery or the same, you know, device. Oh, I see. So, so you're talking about different, you, know, you might own the machine, I might be the vendor. Is that what you mean? Right. Yes. Oh, actually, we have customers who are exposing digital twins of their of their devices to the vendors but there is a problem here and you're spot on which is that if i build a factory out of machines from snyder and bosch and so on all these things how do i put them together that's harder but ultimately as long as i can get hold of data in some feed you know some sort of event there's some de minimis format that I can get hold things in and understand the schema. I can manufacture you know, my notion of digital twins. Right. But you're going to build your twin and they might have their twin that, and oh. that are completely separate and disparate. And that's okay. Yeah. We're just duplicating data and they, they might have different states. But see, then, then we get to where we're talking about, you know, these twins being, I, I like the, I'm, I'm wanting to use the term plastic, if you don't mind, right? They're, no, they're, they change. Yeah. And they, they themselves um, kind of uh, not evolve, but they, they, they behave differently. Yeah. Depending on their history. Right. But they don't have to store their history. What they have to do is change their behavior. Behavior. Um, that we're right. And storing history is arbitrarily horrible. I mean, mm -hmm. I had a customer. I like firing customers, by the way. Um, it's very satisfying. But we had a customer who operated 40 large compressors in the US, okay? And they're getting 70 data points for every single degree of rotation of every shaft in every compressor. There are four shafts per compressor and they go like two and a half thousand RPM. Okay, and these guys were collecting all this data. Yeah, good luck with that. The last time I saw them, they were still going and buying hard disks and thinking they could put all in their Mongo. Okay. Yeah. And, and so the problem there is that the device is designed to run without servicing for four and a half years, right? And so you'll see a huge amount of sameness in the data and then a few scary things and then bang, it just fails, right? Okay, so 
storing the original data is a waste of time. What really matters is the stateful evolution of the thing in some way. And I, I, I think the, the way in which we describe the relevance of stateful evolution is important. That is, we should be able to dynamically attach, I guess, attributes of things, computational functions to things to compute on data as our understanding of them matures. That sounds like, that sounds like, like self-describing or easily described exposed interfaces, like yeah. exposed APIs. And that brings up the whole question of how the, the edges, the, the nodes that are involved in this conversation or at least interaction with one another have established um, kind of a commonality of of, of um, communication. If if the great mass of this is reading data from your communicating node, mm -hmm. it's a little it's a little easier to to imagine a self-describing, you know, API that says, this is what I'm, <clears throat> this is well, what I'm presenting, but yeah, are, are you, you've got a, you've got a language problem here. Well, what I see is relatively few streaming edge protocols, um, relatively, so it's in the tens, right? And then in the scheme world, a tendency to adopt things like Apache Outro. So, you know, more and more people are using it. So it's not hard to build adapters to things, right? And to arrive right. at, this, at a syntax. But the semantics, semantics. part. Yeah, that's... And that's the, the semantics question. is the model, essentially. The semantics is the graph. Okay. And, and this, is where, where, this is where it becomes more contractual. This is what yes. we mean... Yeah. With what by this is what we mean amongst this community of nodes interacting with one another um, when we, you know, say or expose the following kinds of numbers or or data. Exactly, and you know, in com customers I've dealt with, I broadly into two buckets. There are people who say I have lots of data. Find some stuff in there for me. Okay, and they generally are going to go out of business, just it's a matter of time. And there are people who say, I want to get better at this particular thing, and this is related to that. I think so. There are people who think about the analytics they're trying to compute, even if they're relatively poor at it, right? But there are also, but big, big difference between people who say, throw your AI ML at my shit load data here and come up with something, something interesting and people who understand the relationships between things and how they might affect the world. Huge difference. And I think the former are entranced with the idea of AI because they think um, It'll help solve their problems by giving them blinding insights from huge amounts of data they have, but they're really stupid as people. So they're not going to make their business fly anyway. 
So they're not really helpable, in my view. That's a, a, a kind of a, a tough call. So we have decided to walk away from any prospective customer who says, hey, here, I have this huge amount of data. Find interesting things. What you really are, are coming to is a, a notion of we're not talking about AI. We really are talking about machine learning and where and the machines we're speaking of are in fact these it's very often things, nodes, yeah. nodes, <clears throat> nodes at the edge and to some degree kind of abstractions that get incorporated here which happen to be these Staple contractual things, relationships. Yeah. Staple relationships. things that that interact in some way and form a, a graph, a computational graph. Graph, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Simon, but, the, but the relationships and the digital yeah. twinning are, I think, I think that's easy to overlook. And to me, this is where it's edge. Edge is edge is about the relationships between disparate components. Yeah, that too. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, right. I also think this is where the whole um, digital twin, uh, the discussion around digital twin out there in our technical world is so fucked up because so few people understand mm -hmm. this. <laughs> And so it's it's throwing around a buzzword with no understanding. They, they're not a digital twin of this process. They have lots and lots of data and no analysis or interpretation of relationship. So, uh, but it, yeah. it, it explains why digital twins are both, uh, the, our communities don't understand them, don't have a good definition of them. And, the fact that it's a meta level, it's a level above uh, syntax is really hard because very few people can get above the syntax level. Right. All right. Yeah, thank you, Simon. That was awesome. Um, the, <laughs> yeah. So you've got customers that come to you with a big pile of bricks and say, build me a house. And you otherwise, and you also <laughs> don't have customers that come to you and say, I need shelter and here's the things that I have. You know, we do you, actually, yeah, and that one's an interesting problem. I like yeah. those problems. Yeah, those are the ones that you can solve. Is when they say, "I need right. shelter." Yeah, right. Um, the ones where they just come to you and say, "Build me a house." What do you mean by a house? You know yeah. that you can you can get to a solution for them, but it's not worth the effort. That's right. <laughs> I agree with that. All right, everybody. Simon, thank you for coming in. Thank I, you, I think guys. We're going to come back to this topic because I I know that it's. It's essential for us understanding how we're going to build build successful pieces, build successful infrastructure. So, all right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you all. Talk to you soon. There's so much going on in edge and digital twins and this emerging technology of things and how we build systems out of things and how we build multi-vendor interactions between these systems that really need to be understood. Uh, Swim AI is doing some really interesting work here and taking a, a different approach in, in how they think about the data. And that really came through in uh, Simon's conversation. We've had many conversations with Simon and please go back through the archives if you want to learn more about what Swim AI is doing and how it's evolved in their thinking over time. Uh, we talked to them over two years ago. So there's a lot of history for you if you're curious about this topic. Thank you, and please join us at the 2030.cloud. 
Looking forward to hearing your opinion in these podcasts. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.